Hello and welcome to the Made of People podcast. I'm Andy Kroll. This first season is brought to your ears as part of 2020's Alt Brighton Ruby. Thanks to Cookpad and Free Agent for their invaluable support and sponsorship through a weird year for me and the conference. In this podcast, I'm talking to speakers from this year's online event around the topic of their talk. The video of each talk will be linked from the show notes. Although if you haven't watched the talks, this will probably still make sense as a conversation between two humans in a weird time. Cookpad love Brighton Ruby and are supporting again for the fifth year running. They run the world's largest recipe community with over 100 million average monthly users, all on their Ruby platform. Learn more about them at cookpadteam.com. In this episode, I talked to Amina about her calls to our industry to throw down some ladders to help new developers join us. We also chat about the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests. If you enjoy hearing me sound awkward, listen on. The free agent team are a friendly bunch with a single goal, making small businesses happier and more successful by putting them in control of their finances with award-winning accounting software. Keep an eye on freeagent.com forward slash careers for upcoming roles. Hello, Amina. Hi, Andy. (laughs) See, I told you it was weird when I introduced myself after we've been talking for six minutes. No worries. (laughs) Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for your talk. It was splendid. It was as splendid as when I saw it uh, the first time a few months ago, quite a few months ago now. What even is time anyway? So you first gave that talk when you literally just started at the Garden. You were right in the middle of that transition and it hasn't changed a huge amount. Does it feel very different looking at it with a six months experience in your inverted commas first tech job? How does it feel giving that talk now? That's a really good question. And actually, one of the things I said in the talk when I wrote it, last year was that I was also writing it to remind myself Hmm. and I'm so grateful Andy that you gave me the opportunity to come back to it like eight months or nine months into working at the Guardian in my first job because it was it was shocking and it it resonated with me you know even just after a nine-month period so it's it felt really relevant and also with the backdrop of the killing of George Floyd and Black Lives Matters and kind of questioning here in the UK, I was questioning our history and the injustices Black and other minority ethnic people have faced. It just it just felt so right. Mm, and yeah. it was great to have that, how I was feeling back then, kind of frozen in time and remind myself of how it feels to be on the outside looking in. So it it was quite emotional, actually. It was quite emotional. I think when you're in the industry and you're working as a software engineer, it can be really easy to forget what it's like to try and get in. Mm. Really easy. Like, I'm forgetting. It's quite interesting hearing your story sort of threaded through the advice that's in there. Multiple things struck me. So the first thing that struck me was 80% of computer graduates being male in the UK last year. My first instinct was like, that actually seems lower than I was expecting. <laughs> when I did my degree some, some number of decades ago, I'm pretty <laughs> sure the number was way higher. Certainly on my course it was. And the other thing is how little the demographics of the big tech companies had moved in their technical staff. But the main thing that stuck out to me was your determination, like doggedly, I'm going to do this thing, come hell or high water, I'm going to find everything, do everything, and I'm going to make this happen. And what struck me most was I did not have to do that. 
Really? My backstory is I got a graduate job at a big, like, oh, IT yeah. kind of Didn't tech company. I worked for Accenture. I ended up not doing any technical work whilst I was there. But then when I migrated my career back into hands-on technology, I did not have to do that doggy thing. I had a computer science degree. I had a very traditional CV. And it's the power of that CV. If you're trying to break into, I guess, any industry without with a non-typical background, any kind of non-typicality, gap in your CV or weird familial situation or whatever those things are, that's what really struck me is how much determination you personally had to show. And you've got an unusual amount of determination, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Is that something that you noticed specifically that that level of determination was required? It's really interesting you say that. I find it really, I find it funny when you say that, yeah, I didn't have to do any of that. I'm just like, it's not funny. Yeah, I'm an annoying guy. <laughs> no, you're not at all. But it's it's true. I guess I guess for most people, they won't have to go through the struggle. And it's only recently that I've I've been reflecting on the last couple of years. I read some of my um, diary entries that I wrote in 2018 when Zach, my son, was like a year old, well, less than a year old, six months or something, and I was writing trying to work out what I was going to do now that I was a mum and couldn't travel anymore, which is what I did for my previous job. And I was reading those old diary entries and I just can't believe that I got to this place where I'm working as a software engineer at The Guardian with really excellent colleagues. I actually still find it shocking and I think I am incredibly lucky as well as the determination. As you said, to get into any industry not having a formal education in the job is difficult. But then there's also that additional challenge, even if it's just psychological, of not seeing many people who look like you. It'd be so unusual to have a black woman engineer interview me. Even to get a woman engineer, I mean, to, you know, as an interviewer, that would be special. And it, it's such a shame that it's that it's like that. But it does mean that for those who are on the outside trying to get in, they do have to work extremely hard. Hmm. And it's good for software engineers to realise that when they see the CVs of someone that's been teaching themselves to code or has gone to a boot camp. It's worth remembering that that person is probably really hardworking. Hmm. Well, one of the things that I always think about is how useless I am in the first six months of any job. If you take it upon yourself and how much context you build whenever you start in a new work environment, not even just the mechanical skills, the context about the organization that you're working in, the personal relationships you develop, that's where the difficulty is. The fact that you got a degree 15 years ago in computer science is absolutely bugger all to do with whether I can do my job now. My job is nothing to do with that. How did you make that transition from being at Accenture doing a non-technical role and then going back into I don't have a full react workshop breakdown (laughs) I would now if I went into react workshop but (laughs) I was fortunate enough to be married to my wife and I was earning okay money and she put her hand up to go to Singapore for a job and I went as a trailing spouse and resigned basically so I resigned nine months before we were doing that and my uncle had died and I ended up like doing a bunch of stuff on his flat to sell it. Like I, I went full handyman. 
and just re tried to reskill in the things that I was interested in. Like I'd sort of maintained it as like a little hobby in the background. Yeah, that's that's how I did it. But I again, like I had had a wife who basically looked after me for <laughs> for a certain amount of time. And then we went to Singapore and I sort of started building a career there. But that's a good example of hustling in our industry. Even a computer science degree, it doesn't mean that you can actually do the job. Of a, oh, this is from just like someone <laughs> saying that from the outside. I really shouldn't say that to all the... She's uh, met some people with computer science degrees who have no idea what they're doing, <laughs> is what she's trying to say. <laughs> no, not at all. But the day-to-day -day job seems quite different from what I gather. So mm. that's... That that's a huge achievement for you to have kind of retrained in a way. It's yeah, really similar. Way. But you know, also I am a middle class, middle aged now white guy, and that is a big advantage when most of the industry looks like me. So yeah, I worked hard. I mean, that's always the thing, right? With all the my life's hard, your life is also hard. But it's that thing of you didn't also have these disadvantages. I have the advantage of looking like someone who should be a tech engineer. I've got no hair and I burn in the sun very easily. <laughs> I had that. Yeah. So I look like I fit. And so, you know, I, I had to work hard, but then everyone has to work hard. That's yeah. You have to work yeah. hard. You do. You do. I, I got quite used to receiving a lot of rejections. Did you get rejected a lot? I've had my fair share. I've I've been accepted for jobs and then been rejected from within the job. So that's quite <gasps> that's, that's quite really impressive. cool. <laughs> that, that's, uh, cool inverted commas. Yeah, impressive. maybe. Yeah, that's that's probably a story for another podcast. Yeah. Or maybe when we have a drink at some point. So the other thing that struck me was the series of rejections where you were competing with a friend to see how many you could get in a day. And you're very clearly from talking to you and from your talk, you're a very optimistic human. Do you think so? so? You, I don't know. That's, that's my assessment. I'm glad that, that I come across like that. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, that's, that, that's good. You know, you're posi a positive force then. All right. Cool. If not optimistic, yeah. positive. One way to prepare that talk is to be hugely negative and go, look at these yeah. terrible numbers. They haven't really yeah. shifted in years. What the yeah. F is everyone doing? Yeah. Where it's just like, yeah, that's true. But here's mm -hmm. the things we can do. Here's some good recommendations. That's what comes through, that positivity. Yeah. So how did you reconcile your positivity during the rejections period? Yeah, it was really hard. I actually remember talking to friends. And I guess that's what made my journey possible is because I managed to connect with other people who were in the same position as me. So there are so many great meetups. I used to go to Code Bar in London regularly. And we also have Coding Black Females, which is another good one. And so I was able to build a network of peers. So there were times actually, actually just before I got The Guardian, I actually thought about giving up. I remember saying to my friend that I just can't take the rejection anymore because it felt quite you know, you're pairing with someone and then, you know, doing a coding test, you're given a technical test. And it felt a bit personal. I I've, I've felt I was quite sensitive to just being constantly rejected. And it, it felt a little bit emotional. Mm. And I, I, I actually 
I said to a friend, do you know what? I think I'm just going to take a break from this and wait a few more months because it's it's kind of hurting. Mm. So it was hard. I think a lot of the rejections were valid. <laughs> D- define I, valid for me. Valid as in not every team can take on a new developer and and I understand that even now I'm quite impressed with my colleagues at how they're managing to bring me up as a software engineer and I empathize with them because I don't think it's that easy to mentor a new developer I understand that I wouldn't be a good fit for all teams and I kind of wish there were just more roles for new developers out there Mm. I think that's a huge a huge problem but I'm so glad that I didn't give up and in the end I started getting feedback from my technical tests that just really helped me so that by the time I got my current job I'd kind of implemented a lot of the feedback that I had been given from the rejections so trying to change my mindset and knowing that like I need to fail, I'm going to have to fail a lot before I succeed and knowing that the failures weren't failures, but they're actually successes mm. in a way that learning that lesson, I don't know if I fully learned it yet, but beginning to learn that lesson definitely helped. And I think it's, it really is true. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the story of most of my work days. It's like, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. This is never going to work. I think I've done, no, I haven't done it. <laughs> I think, oh, no, no, I haven't done it. And then, then, then a moment of glorious victory. Like that's, that's the story of being a software engineer, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Unfortunately, you had to learn it whilst trying to break in. And no one probably was very good at explaining that. But that's, you know, that is kind of the job as well when it gets there, certainly emotionally, the day to day for me. That's very true. You do talk a bit about like the junior not really meaning junior. I do think we struggle really badly with enough words for, for the levels of job. So, the other thing that I see quite often is senior jobs or people wanting senior jobs but not being senior. There's a... <laughs> You're so cruel, Andy. <laughs> You're not senior. <laughs> me, senior means a coach, a mentor. Mm. There have been various talks over, over the years at Brian Ruby. Sarah May talked very eloquently about the models that we can use to discuss our craft and yeah. not to lean too heavily on the craftsman bit because there's some bad folks in that part of our industry. But like, there is yeah. a sense in which we almost need like a a scheme, like an internship, and then you become yeah. a master over a number of years, and then you become someone who can then train. If you want it to sound cool, it's like a martial art, but otherwise, it's you know, it's mm. it's being really good at plumbing, or it's that's mm-hmm. actually much more it's like it's being really good (laughs) we're missing gradients of skill and words to discuss them both at the top and at the bottom as far as yes yes I really feel for senior devs that well to some extent I feel for (laughs) them because (laughs) because (laughs) I mean the salaries would be nice right yeah exactly that's why I'm kind of like reserved a lot of my feelings it must because at least at the Guardian you kind of get senior and then you're either one of the few few people who is like a tech lead or you're just senior and I guess you could be senior for the rest of your life so your title doesn't change but obviously you've changed a lot Mm. so yeah that must be tough in a really privileged kind of tough way (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, at the bottom, it's extremely annoying. So I got the feedback that maybe I should go for graduate roles. Mm. And apparently the term graduate engineer better described where I was and that junior engineer was for someone with like maybe a year's experience or something. Mm. So that feedback actually helped me because I got into the Guardian through a digital fellowship program, which means that it's made for people who are looking for their first commercial role. So that was perfect for me. There's definitely something bigger teams could focus on. You talk very eloquently about like a call to folks like me who well you hold the budget for a team you hold mm. skilled people's time in your hands why don't you give some of that out because it will repay you the whole idea of when people set up schemes to bring people in they still don't want to really go to the level of like you said graduate developer whatever that is like, yes. but in reality it takes what two months three months to feel like you know how to boot yeah. the app and get everything running and yeah. be able to spot a bug and learn the behaviors yes. of someone in a commercial environment. It, it's not actually yeah. that long. Yeah, it's not. But I think what I've learned also through observing other kind of junior or new developers is that it does take a certain mindset. So I think those devs, those new developers who have hustled to get to boot camp or hustled to teach themselves how to code, they've got a certain mindset when they come in that, they're just, they're going to succeed. So you can take on that kind of new developer with, I think, quite little risk. It's probably more risky for the developers where there isn't actually evidence of determination. If someone is determined, they will learn. And you're right, it doesn't take too long to start to learn how to do the job. I was working on our Android team at The Guardian for the first um, six months. I'm actually giving a talk at DroidCon Italy about what what we can learn from the worst Android developer, <laughs> which is which was me, because I literally I did I never even owned an Android phone. I literally right. didn't know anything. But within twelve weeks, I was you know operational like yeah, yeah. member of the team. So I think it's easy to get hung up on oh it's going to be really hard to teach this person but if they're determined and if they're kind of already have proven that they're really passionate I don't think it is that difficult or risky. You talked a little bit about conferences obviously an area in which I have some experience how did you end up going to were you just picking conferences at random how how did you end up at the at various events? I was brainstorming how I was going to try to understand this industry and break in. And I realized that I needed to start just surrounding myself with engineering people. Seeing them in their natural habitat. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) So I think I just Googled something like tech conference or something. And I ended up going to a, a conference, a Mozilla conference linked to MozFest and Saron Yatbarak was actually the headliner. Nice. She gives great talk. Ex-Brighton Ruby speaker. She's amazing. She, yeah. And she was really phenomenal. So that was a great talk for me to see a, a black woman on stage. And actually that conference was just phenomenal because I met a developer who was a seasoned Code First Girls coach and she continued to mentor me for the following year, I met a head of engineering who I met again at Brighton Ruby last year, who 
helped me a lot. So I managed to just kind of make friends and mm. found a lot of people who were just super supportive. So the whole conference thing was a game changer for me personally. It turns out that even introverts who believe that they don't want to see people actually do occasionally want to see people. And if you meet someone friendly, you tend to be friendly back. <laughs> Newsflash nerds. So the another thing I, I would add is if there is a price tag on the conference, it is always worth emailing the organizers and asking for free tickets. Oh, really? That's a nice hack. It's a, it's a hack that works on me. Like if you want to come to my conference basically, <laughs> and you don't have a job, I'll pretty much give you a ticket. I've actually never done that. But you should. You should have. Oh, no, actually, I have done that once. <laughs> Some conferences don't have a ticket price, right? Some events are managed differently. But if there is a ticket price on a conference, yeah, maybe it doesn't work for the big corporate ones. But yeah. like for the for the human being run ones, <laughs> yeah, it's always worth asking. And like, there are various conferences like FFConf, which they have a whole program for yeah. people who otherwise can't get into the conference or can't afford yeah. to or breaking into the industry. That There are various things at various stages yeah various events so it's always yeah. worth asking about that stuff it is if you don't look like me because you know, i can <laughs> i can afford to buy a ticket that's that that's such a good hack and <laughs> just to all the conference organizers like you it just like a huge thank you really for offering diversity scholarships it it, it was a game changer for me personally and i'm sure it is for so many i've sort of come to the end of some of my questions like you talked about sort of oh. revisiting the talk in these weird times. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, sure. With the killing of George Floyd. Yeah. It's been really triggering for me at work, actually, because <laughs> sometimes you don't you don't necessarily feel like you can share how you're mm. feeling with your colleagues. I feel like with you, Andy, I could kind of <laughs> rant. <laughs> I know, please. I've got good ears and I do, and and I'm happy to listen to people shout over a beer as long as they're willing to hear mine back. I, yeah, I definitely feel like so with some, with some white people, you who for whatever reason have made you feel a certain way. And I have had some conversations with white colleagues about what's going on, but some, some I haven't. One of my colleagues actually reached out to me and just said, oh, how are you doing? I thought that was so lovely. I don't know how other black and minority ethnic people feel, but for me, at least it's been quite tough. And also working in an industry where we have such a huge issue just becoming normal in terms mm -hmm. of who is part of the industry. It feels like that's another layer of the challenge. So... I think it's nice if you do have someone in your team who's from a minority ethnic background. I, I wonder if it's worth like reaching out to them and just asking how you're doing and if they want to talk or if there's an issue at the company that you can raise, you know, as a white person that mm. maybe on their behalf that they don't want to raise. I think that's a really, a really nice thing that white colleagues could be thinking about and actioning. Definitely. Yeah. We're, turns out human beings need help from other human beings, yeah. particularly in times when it's tougher to be, you know, one color of a human being rather than another. Yeah. So. And how does it sit for you, Andy? You're someone who has kind of made an effort, I feel, to understand some of the history around black people in the UK and mm -hmm. racism. H how does it sit with you? Like what's been happening? 
How does it sit with me? Yeah. Uh, How does it feel? As of, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I. It's a weird thing. Like as a middle-aged white guy, I have all of the power and privilege in the world. And yet, what do I do to change things? So I educate myself yeah. and I listen to people and I try and look out for my fellow humans who I know um, who I, and try and broaden that reach as well. You feel the pain of other people as a human if you're tuned into it. And for me, the biggest thing that I've done recently, actually reading Rennie Edo Lodge's book, Mm. I'm no longer talking to white people about race, which is a mm. brilliant book. And there's a podcast that goes with it. If books are not your thing, mm. it's quite a challenging read, even as somebody who regards themselves as pretty not racist. I'm black <laughs> and I'm... it was hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's reassuring. It was hard. Yeah. Particularly there's a thing in our society where almost the worst thing in the world is to be called racist, but we all are. And we have to learn how to hear the generalizations about people who look like me, because that's how you deal with the generalizations about people who are less fortunate than you. Right. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of, it's difficult to know what to do. And I try and do what I can. And social media is a weird one, right? I'm not a massive fan of, demonstrations of look how with it I am look how Mm. on this I am because I don't feel like I am on it yeah but equally everything I do I try and run through a filter of is this the best thing I could be doing right now yeah Um, so it's like thoughtful as much as I can be make sure that my conferences properly reflect the diversity in our community that is there and get out of the way and raise up other people's voices. I'm aware I've been talking for like five minutes about racing. <laughs> no, I really, yeah. It's shit. All the, the, the COVID stuff has very much shown once again, that the poorest in our society get it the worst in all sorts of ways. Yeah. It's just another way that the poorest in our society and then the poorest in our society are as a result of the systemic issues that we have. Yeah. It's different than the US and Rennie Edelodge's book goes into that is it was quite interesting to hear about black and minority uh, ethnic history from a British perspective, actually, you know, we're very U S focused and bizarrely, like more of us know the stories of Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement in the U S we don't know our own history. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like the more you can absorb this stuff and the less offended you can be by, like I bristle when I hear the term white people, that's weird, isn't it? that's where that not all men thing comes from it's just like but i'm not like that i'm just like you probably are a little bit i am like that a little bit but you should just try not to try and avoid the the tiny negative feelings you still have the stereotypes that you've interred to your brain i don't know it's just sucks doesn't it it's tough to talk about because it's awkward it's awkward and as we know british people (laughs) awkward is definitely we do awkward So yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you can make a white British person talk about race, that's pretty fucking awkward. So <laughs> turns but out, I'm... turns out in history, you weren't necessarily the good guys, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but it's really great to talk about these things. And the, the the thing that strikes me about what you're saying is that I actually feel 
I can really relate to what you're feeling and I feel some of the same feelings. So we talked about Saron already and uh, I, I actually mentioned this before in the in the in the pre-talk. Saron <laughs> gave a talk at Brighton a couple of years ago called Lucky yeah. where she deconstructs her own privilege mm. as a black American woman and it's yeah. absolutely brilliantly done yeah. and really exposes that like you say in your talk as well like we are not what we look like. No one is a representative of their ethnic group. No one is a representative of their gender. No one is a representative of uh, bald men who live in Brighton. You know, no one is. <laughs> Sorry, I just had this image of this whole line, like queue of bald men. Right? <laughs> you know, there's a few, a few of us around, but like, I can't speak for all of them is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's just like That's you are your weird. own mixture of privileges and yes, and lack of privilege. And you can only try and understand where everyone comes from, from that perspective. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that because sometimes I kind of feel a bit sad when I hear people say, oh, yeah, but I'm privileged. So I try and say it a lot as well, because sometimes I feel like maybe when someone says I'm privileged, they're kind of assuming that I'm not. Mm. But mm. I also really like it because then they're kind of, accepting the fact that hey I had a huge helping hand to get where I am today like it's not just all me it's just yeah. circumstance but I'm exactly the same like you know my mother is white my grandfather is white and we were able to buy a home in London because of my grandfather's business in the northeast you know mm. and then my mum was able to give us money for our mortgage and then you know I had two parents who have degrees yeah me succeeding in tech is just like it's almost it's just the tip of the iceberg like I'm really <laughs> <laughs> no absolutely like, yeah it's like I am really an extremely privileged person so yeah you're right well there you go I think we've we've solved race in the UK there <laughs> and that's probably a good time for us to finish but lo lots hopefully for people to chew on and think about yeah as, as your talk also did so thank you very much and thank you so much for putting together brighton ruby thank you for letting me speak last year do, to, to do a lightning talk like thanks for taking a chance and thanks it, for a, me it has back. been a genuine privilege thank you very much thanks Thanks a lot for listening. See you next time.